Well, good morning, Edinburgh. How are we? It is so good to, to be here with you. And uh, you're a guest with us this morning. I want to give you a warm welcome. We're glad you're here. For all of you who are watching online, as Terry said, it's many of you. Hey, uh, I just want to say we're so glad that you're tuned in, glad that you're with us uh, today. Uh, we've been in a series called Rebuild. We've been working through the book of Nehemiah. And uh, up to this point, we've seen that the, the, the people of Israel have been able to rebuild the city walls. But now they are in a place where they are wanting to reconnect their hearts with God. And they are, they are longing for revival. They want to get their, their lives and their land right with God so that they can experience his, his blessing and all that he has for them uh, again. This morning we're going to see that the, the people of Israel are going to make three key commitments to that end. As a way of getting their lives right with God so that he will bless their land. They're going to make three key commitments. And it, it got me thinking about this story. I heard about this man who bought a parrot. And I'll just tell you the story about this man. He, he bought a parrot. It was, apparently it was a beautiful parrot. But this parrot had a really bad mouth. And he could swear for five minutes straight without uh, repeating himself. The man was embarrassed because the bird was driving him crazy in front of people. He tried, uh, you know, asking the bird to clean up his language, but um, to no avail. Uh, the parrot promised to change, but, but nothing, nothing happened. In fact, his swearing only increased in both volume and frequency. It finally got to be so much that the guy grabbed the bird by the throat and started shaking him and yelled, quit it. But this just made the parrot angry, and he swore more than ever. Then the guy got really mad, and uh, he locked it in a kitchen cabinet. But that just aggravated the bird, and he started clawing and scratching and making all kinds of racket. When the guy finally let him out, the parrot let loose with, with a stream of swear words that made the man blush. At that point, the guy was ticked off, uh, and so he threw the bird into the freezer. And so for the first few seconds, the bird squawked and screamed and thrashed around, but then there was silence. At first, the guy just waited, but then he started to wonder if the bird was hurt. And so after a couple minutes, not hearing anything, he was so worried that he opened the freezer door, and the bird calmly climbed onto the man's outstretched arm and said, I'm really sorry about all the trouble I've been, I've been giving you. I made a solemn promise and vowed to clean up my language from now on. The man was astonished. He couldn't believe the transformation that had come over the parrot as a result of being in the freezer for only a couple of minutes. The parrot then turned to the man and said, I, I, I just have one question. What did the chicken do? <laughs> okay, I'll make a note. Don't use that one second service. I'll go ahead and put that in there. Uh, like, like the parrot... Uh, the people of Israel are going to make some commitments, some solemn vows this morning. And I, I would encourage you in your free time this week, maybe you want to just open up your Bible and, and read through the first half of Nehemiah chapter 10. Uh, but we're going to see that the people are going to make some, some really, some, some key commitments that, that apply to us today. These are, these are timeless and, and apply to God's people throughout, throughout uh, history. But I want to start by just answering this question, why, why make commitments at all? Like, why do people make commitments? Why, why should we consider making commitments in our spiritual walk? Uh, and there's two reasons I'll give you. The first is because commitments are what help us to change. 
Commitments are, are, are what help us to, to actually put God's word into practice, to actually do something uh, with God's, God's word. Oftentimes we can come to a service and we can hear a good message or we can open up our Bibles and read God's word, but, but if we don't do anything with it, it doesn't really change us. Uh, I'll never forget uh, Pat Cross. Many of you remember Pat Cross. She passed away a couple years ago. She was one of my biggest encouragers here at the church, and, and I'll never forget uh, after a message where, where Pat Cross came up to me said, Pastor, that was such a great message. It was just so good. She said, I couldn't hear it because my hearing aid wasn't turned on, but I could tell it was a really good message, okay? All right, now, sometimes we're, we're a little bit like that. It's like uh, we, we hear a message, we're like, oh, that was a good message. But the question is, are we doing anything with it? Are we actually putting God's word and the things that we're hearing into practice? Because if we're not, we won't change. That's the first reason we make commitments. The second reason is because commitments are help us to honor God. Now let me be crystal clear here. We cannot earn salvation. It's just something we cannot earn. Salvation. That is a free gift that we get through Jesus Christ and the blood he shed for us on the cross. We can simply receive what God has already done for us to be saved. At the same time, as believers, there should be a desire in our heart because of what God has done for us to want to honor God with our lives. And we do that through commitments. And I believe this principle. When we honor God, God honors us. I believe that. I believe that obedience in our lives leads to blessing in our lives. It's a hill I'm willing to die on because I've experienced that in, in my own life. We receive what, what I would call the God factor in our lives. When we're obedient, we make commitments and, and live uh, the way God has called us to live, uh, you, you, you receive the God factor. You can't quite put your, your finger on it, but, but God is with you. And he works in your life. And it doesn't mean, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here, you know, a bigger house, nicer car. But I am saying that God will be with you and will protect you and watch over you in ways uh, that are very beneficial to our, to our lives. And so this is why we make commitments. We, we want to we change, but we also we want to honor God in our, in our lives. And this is why the people of Israel are saying we're going to make some key commitments to get our lives right with God again and get back on the track of how God has called us to live. Okay, so we're going to see these three key co commitments. Again, these are timeless. They apply to all believers throughout time. Let me jump into the first one here. The first one is to say, to stay set apart. And specifically, this is going to be in the context of marriage. Okay, let me read for you uh, Nehemiah 10, verse 30. People say, we promise, there's the commitment, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or to take their daughters for our sons. Okay, again, they're talking about marriage. This is a, arranged marriages back in the day. Uh, but you, this is very important for us to understand. This has nothing to do with race. This has everything to do with faith. Okay? Because one of the tendencies, and we see this in the Old Testament, is people would intermarry people of different faiths, and inevitably those faiths would pollute the believer's worship. In fact, we see that, you know, prime example is King Solomon. Uh, King, King Solomon was said to be the wisest man who ever lived, and yet King Solomon married wives who were of a different faith. And even King Solomon, the wisest man who supposedly ever lived, 
had his faith polluted and allowed idols and other forms of worship uh, into, into Israel and into his own life. And this is the problem. When we, when we marry someone who, who, who's not where we're at spiritually, uh, there's going to be an inevitable conflict when it comes to our values, you know, especially when there's kids in the picture. Do, do we go to church? Do we not go to church? Do we pray before meals? Do we not pray? Do we do Bible studies in the house? Do we not? There's going to be conflicts, okay? And so this is one of the reasons they say we're, we're going we're to protect our marriages. Now, I know some of us are in situations where we, we're married to someone who, who's not, you know, a believer. And I just want to tell you, there's hope for you. There, there, there's hope in that situation. In fact, Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, talks about this, specifically talking to women who... Um, their husbands weren't uh, believers, at least yet. Uh, he, he says this in, in chapter 3 of 1 Peter. He says, even if some re- refuse to obey the good news, talking to the wives here, he says, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent life. So he, this, is a, this was a problem even in the, in the New Testament, and, and God speaks into that. If, if you're in that situation, just know there's hope for you. But at the same time, if you're a single person, you need to recognize that God wants to spare you from the challenges that come being uh, in a marriage with someone who doesn't share your same values and hold to your, your, same, uh, your same beliefs. Uh, this is one of the commitments that the people of Israel make. And by the way, I would challenge us parents, pray for our kids and pray for their future spouses. And we should be praying uh, for our kids' future spouses. It's one way we can fight for family. Okay, number two. Number two, here's the second commitment they make. Take a Sabbath. Verse 31. It says, when the neighboring people uh, bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Uh, even, they even say this, every seventh year we will forgo working the land and we'll cancel all debts. Okay, this is about taking a Sabbath, a, a day of rest. On the seventh year, they were going to even rest the land. Okay? But a Sabbath, it just means to take a day where you rest yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, but primarily spiritually. It's not just a day of doing nothing. It's a day of, of, of sitting back, thinking on how God has been good to you, and reflecting on the work that you were able to accomplish um, over the last six days. But, but here's what a Sabbath ultimately comes down to. A Sabbath comes down to trusting God. Do do you trust God enough to say, God, I'm going to be able to get everything done in six days? Do you trust God for that? It's a a faith issue. Are we going to trust God that we can get done everything in six days? Which is why I would maybe challenge you. We're not legalistic about this the day you choose. And I think there's a lot of grace in all this. I would maybe challenge you, whatever that Sabbath is for you, maybe you don't go get your groceries on that day. Maybe you don't you do yard work on that day. I mean, sometimes we have to do things. If it snows and you got to get out, you're going to have to plow. So we're not legalistic. But, but it's, it comes down to, are you trusting God? Are, are you trusting God? Because when we trust God, friends, that's when we experience the God factor in our life. He honors faith in our lives. You know, many of us have a love-hate relationship with a certain fast food place. We love them because their food is great, but we hate them because they're closed on Sundays. Who am I talking about? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Did, did you know this, though? Chick-fil-A per restaurant is more profitable 
than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined per restaurant. At least in 2018, Entrepreneurial Magazine uh, did, did a study and found that Chick-fil-A is more profitable than those three businesses combined, and they're closed on Sundays. Do you understand what I mean by the God factor? Chick-fil-A's got it. Because they're honoring God even in their business. And God will do this in our lives as well. But this brings us to the, to, to the harder one that we got to talk about this morning. The third promise that they make is that they will give financially. Okay? Verse 35 reads that uh, we also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God to the priests the first of, of, of our ground meal, uh, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all the trees, and of the new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes. You might want to underline that. And all the towns where we work. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and for ministering priests, the gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. And then listen to this. We will not neglect the house of our God. Okay? Now let me just say this. Today, uh, in, in, in the New Testament, the house of God isn't, it's not a building, okay? It's, it's the church. It's, it's the people. It's the ministry that we're doing here. Our building is certainly a part of that. Let me just say that. We couldn't do the ministry we do as a church. Without this building, there's a lot of churches that would love to have our building because of the ministry it allows us to do. This is talking about the, the church. And, and let me say a few things uh, about the tithe. We need to understand. The first thing we need to understand about the tithe is the tithe is to be a sacrifice that we make. It's a sacrifice in, in a believer's life. It literally means a tenth. Okay. It's saying, God, I, I believe that everything I have is from you, my job, my income, my health to do that job. And uh, I'm, I, I'm willing to give you back a tenth, a, a tenth of what you've given me. It's saying, God, I'm putting you first in my life, and, and so I'm going to give you a tenth. And friends, it, it's a sacrifice. To give God a tenth is, 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 is not an easy thing to do. That's, uh, that's going to, to be a sacrifice in our lives. You know, uh, we used to pass the offering plate around here. And I would always kind of chuckle. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it seemed like we'd get that offering plate back, man, and you'd be like pulling like tissue out of it. It'd be like a cough drop, like a button, you know, and some loose change. In the, and listen, that's great, and I, I'm not downplaying people putting loose change or, or, you know, a few bills in the offering plate. But we need to understand that a tithe is literally a tenth of our income. And what you are saying is, God, I put you first in my life. And so I'm going to give you a tenth of my income. But you need to also understand this. We're also supposed to be cheerful givers. You know, we're not supposed to give. I'm not trying to twist your arm to give. I'm just the mailman. I just deliver the mail. I didn't write it, okay? But it's supposed to be something that we do as an act of worship in our lives. God, I love you. You, you have saved me. I, I, I owe you my life. It's the least I can do. It's supposed to be something we do cheerfully. Uh, but it's also an act of faith. Because you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you with my 90%. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's a hill I'm willing to die on. 
When you trust God like that, when you trust God like that, you experience the God factor in your, in your life. It comes down to faith that we're told in Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God, okay? And so we want to exercise faith even in our giving. You need to realize, I mean, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject, and that's because it has such a, it's such a temptation in all of our lives to become an idol in our lives. But God's saying, will you trust me? Will you honestly be willing to give me a tenth back and trust that I can do more with 90% in your life than 100%? Uh, and I, I, listen, you guys know my story. I, high school dropout here, um, had no prospects in life. No prospects. My friends were going off to college. My friends, you know, doing all these, and I was just, I was just stuck. I just in, if I can just be brutally honest, just an absolute, I mean, I was just, I was a loser. I mean, I, I had no prospects ahead of me. I had nothing to look forward to. The only hope I had was God. And I made a commitment when I was 17 years old and got my first job working in a grocery store. I said, God, I'm going to give you 10%. This is something I see in the Bible. It's something God's people have done throughout time. I'm going to commit 10% to you. And I would be lying to you and giving you false testimony if I didn't say God has been good to me. He has blessed me. Maybe it has to do with my expectations because I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but God has blown my expectations out of the water. I'm just being real with you. And I believe a big part of that because I have all kinds of problems. I have all kinds of failures, but this is one I have committed myself to, and I would be lying to you if I didn't say God has blessed me in this area. Now, does it mean I have a, you know, I'm not living in a mansion. I don't drive a night, you know, I'm not talking about the nicer car here, prosperity gospel. In fact, one of the staff members just this past week said, I drive a piece of junk. I'm not going to tell you who that was, but his name is Terry, okay? He said, I drive a piece of junk. So I'm not talking about, but I just say, I have the God factor. He's with me. He's helped me. He has opened doors for me that I never thought imaginable. And friends, I, I want that for you too. I know not all of us are in a place where we can give 10%. We're like, that's just crazy. I just can't because of my life situation. I understand. God understands. Okay? But maybe you start with 5%. And maybe next year you, you, you work towards 6%. You know? There, there, there's grace in all of this. But, but these are some commitments that we can make in, in our lives. Now, here's the problem. I don't want to give away the end of Nehemiah. But we're going to see that the people are going to fail to live out these commitments. They're going to fail. They're going to intermarry. Uh, they're not going to keep the Sabbath. And they're not going to take care of the house of God. And we're going to see Israel going through that cycle that we talked about last week. Desperate for God, needing God's help. And then God shows up, and he's good, and they get the God factor in their life, and then they say, God, I got it, I'll take it from here, and they start living life the way they want to, only to find themselves in distress again. In fact, you read through the Old Testament, this is how the, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, ends. People of Israel going through that cycle, leading to what's called the 400 years of silence where they don't hear any word from God for 400 years. And then when the New Testament opens up and Jesus is born into the world, Israel finds themselves in bondage again, this time to the Roman Empire. And it raises this question for us. Is there any hope for us to truly change? 
Any hope? Because I don't know how many of you can relate to this cycle. In fact, I love what Paul says, and maybe you can relate to what Paul says in Romans 6. Listen to this. See if anybody can relate to this. He says, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Anybody relate to this? Like, I want to do these things. I want to change. I want to live out God's ways. Keep my commitments. But I find myself going backwards and sometimes starting right where I began. It, it raises this question, is there any hope that we can change? The good news is there is. Because look at what Paul says next in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, because of Jesus, we can change. And so as we close today, listen, as I was working on this message this week, I realized, man, this opens up such a can of worms. Because I really wish this is what I was preaching on today. Because <laughs> this is the more important question. Is how, how do you and I apply what Christ has done for us to our life so that we can truly change in life? And I can't go into that. We don't have time, but I want to give you just two thoughts. I'm going to end with two thoughts, and I believe these are so important for us because if you don't grasp these two thoughts, the Christian life is going to be a burden to you. And it wasn't meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a joy, an act of worship. So how do we live that out? Here's my first thought. You have to remember grace. Starts by you got to remember grace. There's grace in all of this. Because if you don't remember grace, here's what's going to happen. You're going to fail. Let me ask you this question. Has any of us arrived? If you think you, we need to pray for you if you think you have. Because some of us say, I need prayer. I need prayer. I, like, I realize my sin. I realize my issues. I realize there's a lot of work to do in my life. We'll pray for you. But if you're sitting there going, no, I think I've arrived. We really need to pray for you. Friends, we are all a work in progress. All, every single one of us. None of us are Jesus. I mean, if you are, I, you, you should be wearing the mic up here today. All of us are a work in progress, which is why we have to remember grace. But the good news is Jesus has come. He has paid for our sin. Some of you are walking around with this heaviness from your past, from some sin from your past. Do you know that in Christ that sin has been washed clean? And is yours no longer to carry? And God says, forgiven, it's done. You are mine. You are my child. And I now cover you with the righteousness of Christ and see you as perfection in my sight. Do you, do you realize this is the grace that we all have to receive and by the way should show to one another as well. It's one of my visions for our church is that we will be a church that practice, practices grace. We all need it. It's what makes us different. It's what makes us unique as Christians. We have grace. But there's a second thing we also need. 
Here's my second thought. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Because if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not going to be able to live out these things God has called us to live out. Do you realize you have something that Old Testament saints didn't have? In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelled in the temple and worked through the prophets and the priests only. One of the reasons Jesus died for you was not just so that you would go to heaven when you die, but was so that you could have the Holy Spirit in you now, so that you could have God living inside of you right now. And I find that many Christians, like we know that up here, but we don't know what that means, and we're maybe not in tune with what the Spirit's doing in our life, and we, we don't know how to work with the Spirit in our life. And again, it's a whole nother message. But I'm going to end this morning by just giving you some ideas, some ways that you can be filled with the Spirit. Because the Bible says if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, uh, you, you have the Spirit of God indwelling you. But all of us have to practice being filled, filled with the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit right now? I'm asking you. Like, are you, would you say, I'm filled I want you to be. So let me give you some ideas, and we'll end with this quick list of ways that might help you be filled with the Spirit so that you can live out the things God calls us to live out. Here's the first one I would suggest. Sing worship songs. Paul himself specifically mentions this. There's something about singing. And I know for many of us, singing is like weird, especially for some of us men. Like, I remember when I became a Christian, like, this idea of singing was so bizarre. Like, the only time I sung was in elementary school, like, Christmas songs and stuff like that. It was such a bizarre, but, it, like, this is so integral to the Christian life. Maybe I would challenge some of you to step out of your shell and consider, uh, consider singing. One of the songs that we're going to close with today, even if you just kind of mumble it. Just start somewhere. You know, because some of you, you sing like this, you know, and maybe some of you, you would actually, like, do this. Like, I don't know. That'd be a big step. I'm not, let's not get crazy, okay? I'm not trying to get carried away. But there's something about worship that when we actually engage it, we'll fill you with the Spirit. And if you do that today, I'm going to ask you this question. Walk out of here and just, what am I feeling right now? Like, what's going on in my life right now? I'll tell you what's going on. You're being filled with the Spirit of God. How about this one? Serving others. Serve others. You ever serve somebody? Maybe it was here at the church. You served our kids. You served youth. You served someone outside of the church, but you did it for God. And you walked away, and you just felt like you were, I don't know, you just felt lighter. What were you experiencing? You were experiencing being filled with the Spirit. Okay? That's the Spirit working in you. How about this one? Spiritual conversations. This is one of the reasons we encourage you to be in a small group. Hearing other people's testimonies. You sharing your testimony. Maybe that has to do with you sharing your faith with somebody. You want to be filled with the Spirit, try sharing your faith with somebody. Walking away from that conversation after praying for them. Man, you will be, you will be filled. I hope you help uh, hear what I'm trying to help you with. I'm trying to help you understand how the Spirit works in our lives. Because many of us, were not even aware of this. I put meditate on Christ. 
When was the last time you spent just five minutes thinking on what Jesus did for you on Calvary? Five minutes. You, you were hanging, you died for me. You didn't have to, you did that for me. And you just sit there and you meditate on Christ and how good he is and how much he must love you to do that. No, that was for you. You'll walk away feeling, being filled with the Spirit. I put enjoy nature on there. For some of you, this is a true spiritual pathway. It is for me. When I'm out in nature and I just enjoy God's creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. I see God's glory and I'm filled. I put study scripture on there. And then here's one I just, I'm going to close with and we're going to practice it together. I hope you will uh, join me in this. You just ask God to fill you. You just say, God, fill me with your spirit. This is something that we here at Edinburgh, the staff, practice on a regular basis. It's almost one of our mantras on the E-team. We pray it almost every week. God, fill us, fill us, fill us with the spirit so that we can carry out the ministry you've called us to. Friends, I want you to experience the role of the Holy Spirit in, in, in your life. Because I'm convinced of this. If you don't, if you don't, the Christian life will be a burden to you. But Jesus said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why could he say that? Because he was going to give us the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us, and to give us joy as we do these things. So we're going to practice this last one. Here, here's what I would humbly ask of you. We're going to close with some worship as well, so we're going to have to stand anyways. Would you go ahead and stand? I'm just going to ask you, would you bow your heads for just a moment? You know, I recognize um, as we're doing this, talking about the Holy Spirit can be kind of weird, you know, for some of us. It, it's, it's just not something you hear a lot about. Especially if you're maybe, <laughs> this is like your first time stepping into church in a while or something like that. And you're coming, you're hearing about the Holy Spirit. It's like, what, what are they talking about? I just want to remind us that the Holy Spirit is God. It's God. It's God living and indwelling inside of us. It's a person. It's God wanting to have a relationship with you. And if you've put your faith in Christ, this Spirit lives inside of you and wants to connect with you. But so often we're so busy and we're so distracted and we're, honestly, we're just not aware that God is, is wanting to work in our lives. And so right now what I'm going to ask you to do is just in your heart, just right now, just for a second, just connect your heart with, with God. Connect it with God. Just, he's here in this room. God, we call on you. Make your presence known. Give us hearts of flesh. Sense your presence right now. Reach out. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you want to be with us. You want to be in a relationship with us. Help us to be tuned into you. Now we pray. God has your people. I'm going to encourage you to do this. Just to repeat this after me. Just say, Lord, 
Fill me, fill me, fill me with your spirit. I hate to be that guy, but we can do a little better. <laughs> Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me with your spirit. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Who's feeling it? See, some of you, this is life-changing. Those of us who are engaging. Those of us who are, have ears to hear. This is life-changing stuff. Let's do it one more time. Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me with your spirit. God, my prayer is we would walk out of here today filled with your spirit. We would make that connection. This is you with us. This is nothing to take lightly. God, we want more of you. We want to be empowered by you. And we want to be used by you so that we can live a life that brings you glory here on earth. Use this church and use me, God, individually, talking about us as the church, God's people, to do just that. We ask this in Jesus' name who made it all possible and all God's people say.